The following is a CA original. The mighty sound of the South, tailgating on Tiger Lane. Tom three at the Liberty Bowl. Each one a Memphis football tradition. This is the Tiger Football Podcast. Greetings, Tiger football fans. This week's edition of the Tiger Football Podcast is here. Welcome. I am your substitute host, Jason Munns. I'm the Tiger basketball beat writer at the Commercial Appeal, but I am subbing, pinch hitting for the uh, for our columnist Mark Giannato, who is. Uh, uh, who, who recently welcomed his second child. And so he is uh, 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 attending to those duties. Um, so uh, in his stead is me. I am joined by Tiger football beat writer Evan Barnes. And we are also blessed and honored and privileged to have a third member of our podcast crew, Commercial Peel High School reporter, high school sports writer, Kari Thompson. Kari? What's up? What's up? What's popping? What's good? Well, welcome to the Tiger Football Podcast. How, how excited are you to be here? Man, I'm on like 10, man. Way up. I feel blessed. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is usually the podcast that I'm on, and I'm the third voice on here on this three-man party. Well, like, I mean, You know how, how crazy that is? Well, I I was I was brought up to uh, uh, like whenever you'd have like a friend over for like a sleepover or something like that, the visitor always gets to decide, you know, what games we're going to play, what, uh, you know, what we're going to eat for dinner. That's sort of like the guest gets to sort of run the show. Um, and, and so this was my way of honoring our guest, you know, guest gets to guest gets to go first. That's that Southern hospitality. They don't know nothing about that in L.A. <laughs> ah, nice. Well, well, well played from our Boston Rays preps writer. Well played. As if you know anything about that. I, I wish I could say. I wish I could say LA doesn't know anything about uh, winning games in the NLC in the 2021 NLCS. But alas, oh. alas, they do. They uh, 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 Cody Bellinger uh, ran into a high fastball from Luke Jackson, and uh, the rest is history. Yeah, it's 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 October, it's Halloween season, Jason. And Cody Bellinger decided to wake up from the dead and show off why he was MVP. But I mean, as we're as we are recording this, your ATL team is still up two one. So I can't be gloating too much, except it will be a fun series. Yeah, yeah, it was it was headed for it was it was. I mean, the Braves were five outs away from uh, from from going up three zero. Unfortunately, they didn't. Uh, Cody Bellinger and Mookie Betts uh, had had something to had something to say about that, and now it's interesting. It's interesting in the in the National League, whereas the American League is not interesting, courtesy of Kari's Boston Red Sox. Well, it is interesting though because we lost last night, which sucks. Oh, it's two um, two. I didn't even notice. I, I yeah, went into a, yeah. <laughs> I went into oh my a, god, dude! They scored seven runs in the ninth, bro. <laughs> it was three two going into the ninth. And they scored, they scored six or seven runs and just went crazy. That's nuts. I see. I didn't see that. I, as soon as the Braves lost, I cut. I, I, I just, I tuned out of everything and and wasn't even paying attention. So I wish I tuned out of everything. Okay. <laughs> I wish I tuned out. I wish I, I wish I had been watching Austin Riley instead. Let's put it that I, way. I will say it was, it was, it was tough seeing you guys both have to watch your team suffer. I mean, I don't want to come up here gloating again, but at least you know. 
Raise your hand if your team won last night. I don't want to be that guy, but my hand is raised for our podcast viewers. All right. But, uh, Man, let's talk anyway. football, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. we are here to talk Tigers football. It's That's football right. week. That's right. I know the NBA starting. I know Major League Baseball players. We are here to talk football. And Memphis got a pretty good win over Navy this past week. They did. But before we get to that, Evan, I want to talk about the sort of news of the like the big, big picture stuff that's going on. Obviously, conference realignment is um, a hot topic and has been for the last couple of months since Texas and Oklahoma, uh, 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 you know, sent things, uh, sent everything into a uh, tailspin, so to speak. But um, the uh, reports came out, multiple reports have come out, been trickling out in the last couple of days. Yahoo's Pete Thamel first reported it. Um, Stadium's Brett McMurphy came back with some reporting, some more reporting on the situation uh, uh, yesterday, yesterday being Tuesday, since we're recording this on Wednesday, that the American Athletic Conference is pretty much poised uh, to expand uh, by inviting or accepting applications from however you want to phrase it, six teams from Conference USA. I mean, the American has just decided to go full on Viking raid of the conf- of Conference USA, and they the teams that are reportedly set to join the American Athletic Conference are Rice, North Texas, um. Florida Atlantic University. Uh, I don't have it in front of me. Who are the other? Charlotte, UAB, and UTSA are the other three. There you go. So UAB is one of the only two charter members remaining in Conference USA, which started in night, which was founded in 1996. UAB and Southern Miss are the only two left standing who are part of the original group in Conference USA. Um, and so, so you got that. You've got. The Texas uh, stronghold with UT San Antonio, which is ranked for the first time in its history, yep. uh, in the top 25. You got Rice, that's in Houston. You've got North Texas, which is in the uh, 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 DFW Metroplex area in Denton, Texas, right outside of Dallas, about, I would say, 35 minutes north of Dallas. Yep. Obviously, Memphis fans are familiar with Denton uh, now that uh, Seth Hennigan is doing what he's been doing yep. uh, this season. Um, so what do you, what, what, what was your first thought when these, I mean, were you surprised at all that it was six teams that they were going after? And did, did any of the six surprise you in any way? I was surprised that it was six because I had the impression that the AAC was going to try to go to 12. They wanted to probably get back to where they were when the, uh, when they where they last were before UConn left, so I thought that there would at least be twelve, but they decided to go big and say we're just going to expand even more into you know the southern footprint, um, which I guess makes sense because when you're when you're losing you know Houston, you got to put you got to make sure you maintain that because you know the AC offices are in Dallas, so I was surprised they went for six, um, and as far as the names, I mean let's be honest, I mean UAB and UTSA. Um, both look like really good candidates. Obviously, UTSA having one of its best – its probably best season ever um, and being ranked, that probably helped its case. And beating Memphis, I obviously probably didn't uh, hurt its chances. Um, 
North Texas has been pretty strong the last few years. Um, Rice, as you mentioned, um, when I go to Houston this week, literally Rice is just down or not this week. Wow. Go to Houston next month for Memphis, Houston. Rice is literally, you know, not that far away from from Houston. So you get to expand in there. But it is. But I mean, again, this is more about it seems to me this is more about market size. It's more about teams that are kind of on the rise. And really, it feels like the AAC really didn't have any other choices. I mean, they tried to get some Mountain West schools that didn't work. Um, Memphis was hoping that maybe they could hold out and wait for, you know, more expansion. We'll see what happens there. But the AAC's options were really limited here. So I feel like this was the best that they could do considering things. But unfortunately, it looks like Conference USA is in trouble like the WAC um, and some of the other conferences that have been basically hurt from realignment. So, Jason, I want to ask you, being someone who, you know, who's covered Conference USA from your Southern Miss days, like, what do you think about this move and just kind of what it means for both the AAC and even Conference USA. It, it's going to be interesting. I think Conference USA is pretty much toast at this point. Um, the 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 rumblings that I'm hearing are, are that Southern Miss and Marshall are going to go to the Sun Belt um, pretty soon, um, and that will then leave Conference USA, USA with like six teams. Uh, so I, I I mean I just I don't. I don't see them survive. I don't see Conference USA surviving um, past this. So, uh, you know, RIP Conference USA, maybe uh, we'll see if that actually happens. But um, but I, I, I'm curious to get Kari's take. Kari is a, is a man of many takes. And I feel like you you have to have one on, on this. On uh, Conference USA realignment? Uh, no, no, no. Uh, on the American, on the American getting, uh, on who they're getting and, and, and what they've done to account for the losses of Houston, Cincinnati and UCF. Yeah, that's what I mean. So like, I think it's interesting. It fits, it fits the theme of like schools in, in metros and like yeah. these size, like mid city urban schools. Like I, I'd say definitely those six kind of fit the, fit the theme that the AAC is going with. I mean, obviously, are any of them a Cincinnati or a Houston? No. But maybe you, maybe you, you know, you go for, you know, your Steph Curry volume shooter vibe, you know? You start, <laughs> start chucking up some shots, you bring in six. Maybe one of them turns out to, to, to raise its game um, and do really well and surprise some of us in the conference. I mean, I think I, my take is this is not great for the American conference. This I mean like the American conference is all about, you know, they're, 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 they've been pushing for years, this power six thing. This is, I, I mean, not, not inviting these particular six schools. I don't think that is what is going to render the whole power six thing completely and totally moot. Uh, uh, I think losing Houston, UCF and Cincinnati is what's going to do that. Um, you know, they had a chance or they thought they had a chance. The AAC thought they had a chance to, to do better. I mean, if the reports are accurate that they were going after, you know, Boise state, Colorado state air force, San Diego state, the likes of those types of programs that could have been, that would have been better than this. I mean, because let's be honest, uh, rice does nothing for you in any sport. Right. Absolutely. Right. right. 
baseball doesn't count for much in college athletics, especially when it comes to conference realignment. Um, once upon a time, Rice was a national power in baseball. That is no longer the case. They are not good in football. They have they've they've had every once in a while they go nine and three, eight and four, something like that. But that is a blue moon scenario usually. Basketball's it's been it's been okay here and there, but by and large they're not great. Uh, the it only should thing be, should be noted about Rice just to kind of bring this up. Rice has given Memphis uh, well one special teams coordinator with Pete Limbo, and they hired another special teams coordinator in Drew Zavoda before he was hired by Alabama. So at least their coaches are definitely or their assistants are benefiting from being there. Just saying. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so that's that's worth noting, I would say. But uh, by and large, Rice doesn't do much for you other than keeping your place or keeping a place in the Houston uh in the Houston area in the Houston uh, market um but no you're right Kari the the you 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 get into Birmingham and you're you're familiar with Birmingham right you're, you're right. You, right. you know a few things about UAB right right and 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 UAB has that old rivalry with Memphis like you yep. know they, mm-hmm. they've, they've had some battles back in the day like Reading your, uh, your your final four series that you won an award for, Jason. I mean, you know, they, they, you could definitely go back on some Memphis UAB history for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were, they were obviously they were once together in Conference USA, and so this kind of uh, uh, this the if this the, that's the other thing that we're not even talking about is the reports that uh, like this this could not even matter to Memphis in a very short period of time. I mean, Dennis right. Dodd, CBS Sports. Uh, reported a little while ago, I think last month, back in September, he reported that um, Memphis and Boise State, that, that the Big 12 is probably not done expanding. Right. And that Memphis and Boise State are kind of at the top of the list uh, for future expansion for the Big 12 once Texas and Oklahoma actually physically take their suitcase and leave. Um, and that could come, I've, I've read reports that say that could come as soon as 2022. Um, so, you know, all of this may not even matter to Memphis, and uh, but but as we sit here today, it does, and so we have to talk about it. Um, but but we've talked about it, so uh, so <laughs> let's let's uh, get back to the actual um, football. Let's get yeah, to the football, the actual, shall the we? Football, and uh, we'll talk football, and and so uh, Memphis is coming off a big win, right, Evan? Yeah, I mean, Memphis did what it needed to do against Navy. It was a very, I would say, clinical performance that they needed on a three-game losing streak. Um, Some of the areas that were question marks, you know, answered some questions for a week, I think. The defense played absolutely great after allowing that 21-play drive that nearly took up the whole uh, first quarter. Um, And I give Navy credit. That was as as good as they looked all game because after that 21-play drive – they did not look great. It was probably a Navy team that is as down as since I've been covering the beat the last four years. And I talked to somebody who said that might be one of the worst Navy teams he's seen in a while. And again, it's unfortunate for Navy, but for Memphis, they took advantage. Um, they scored on, I believe, five of their first six drives, um, which is exactly what they needed to do. They needed to show the offense that they could finish drives. Um, they needed to take care of the ball, which they did, except for Seth Hennigan's um, interception. The defense held Navy to under 200 rushing yards, which is a win. And yes. Memphis actually ran the ball more than Navy, you know, had more rushing yards than Navy, which is again, 
a telltale sign of how bad Navy is, but also good for Memphis to get back on track. Um, I thought the offense was was looked fun again, and we'll get into kind of why they looked more fun. But overall, this was a game where I thought Memphis had to make a statement on both sides of the ball. Special teams didn't have any mistakes, like unlike Tulsa, where they just couldn't make a field goal. All the PATs were good. Memphis finished drives in the red zone. So overall, this was a clinical game that they needed to have. And even after the game, Ryan Searfield made clear to say that this was kind of a game they knew they had to win. He didn't want to say it was a must win, but it was a win that they knew they had to get. And so I'm curious. Obviously, the, the one play from that game that went viral was was Calvin Austin's reverse. And so since I was at the game, did you guys catch the replay of that, that, that run at all? I did not. I, I um I did I maybe I did. oh no I did I saw it on a replay uh when when he um it was like uh he he was coming toward the camera and like split four or five defenders and just ran away for like it was like he was it was like he was in fast forward and the others were in slow motion it it it, it was it was pretty impressive. It, it was. And, and, you know, what's funny is that, like, I've been thinking to myself, gosh, Memphis needs to find more ways to use his speed. Like, I, one of the things I, 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 I miss about um, the Mike Norvell offense was they would do a lot of, you know, jet sweeps and screens and those kind of things to kind of try to free up some of their speed guys. And with this offense, they've done a great job of getting to their playmakers, but there hasn't been a variety. So when they broke that out and Kylan Watkins flipped it to uh, Calvin Austin, it was just like, OK, here we go. And then when those three Navy defenders collided like a car crash on Poplar, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. oh, man. it basically um, looked like Calvin Austin was just, you know, toying with everybody. And you wouldn't have known from that that Ryan Silverville told us on Saturday he's been battling an ankle injury for the last two games. He looked fast. He looked effective. He was out here just, you know, being Calvin Austin. So that play, I thought, showed that the offense not only was just fun again, but it looked explosive. Like Memphis came out the gate. They had a pass to Javon Ivory down the middle on the first play of the game, which was saying, okay, we can take advantage of this defense. Um, Eddie Lewis had his first touchdown on a uh, 16, I believe it was a 69 or 75 yard uh, uh, touchdown catch, but that was his first touchdown. He looked incredibly fast, um, 74 yards actually. Um, so this offense looked fun. It looked exciting, and the reason why, and this is my theory based on what we were told, for the first time since he became offensive coordinator in 2019, Kevin Johns called the game from the sidelines. And credit our guy, Mark Giannato, for noticing that and asking the questions about behind that. Um, the players actually brought, brought it up to Ryan Silverville and said, hey, we want Kevin Johns on the sidelines. And Kevin Johns hadn't done that, but – the offense had one of its best showings all season. They looked dynamic and fun. The player said, or Silverfield told us that Johns brought kind of a calming influence on, on the sidelines. Seth Hennigan said he liked having Kevin Johns being able to look him in the eye instead of talk to him over the phone. And so um, I'm curious, Jason, like when you see like little tweaks like that from a football team, are those the kind of things you think can kind of, you know, provide a little bit of a spark needed to kind of, you know, either save the season or maybe give it a, a slight turnaround? We'll see. I mean, it was Navy. It was at home. I know it was on a short week. Um, it, it, it certainly, by by the results that were produced, seems like it helped uh, against Navy. Will it help against UCF this weekend? I don't know. Uh, I mean, I just I – I, I didn't see enough of a dramatic um, – 
improvement in the offense based on the quality of the opponent to be like, yeah, this is this means they're going to win out or this means they're going to win all of their last, you know, however many of their next however many. I don't know. It, it I'm not convinced that that's going to be enough to uh, reverse their fortunes. But I, I do – listening to you talk about Calvin Austin, it, it made me think of a question that I want to ask both of you guys, and we'll start with Kari. You know, again, the, the whole guest thing. Uh, <laughs> um, Calvin Austin has is is well on his way to having one of the most productive offensive seasons in school history. Am I off base in that, Evan? You are correct. So, but Memphis has come up has 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 produced some serious playmakers some seriously productive guys, especially in the last few years. Tony Pollard, Daryl Henderson, Antonio Gibson. Who else, Evan? Who else? Anthony Miller, yeah. Kenny Gainwell. Yeah, right, right, right. So, yeah. Kari, rank these guys. Where does where does Calvin Austin the third? I mean, and, and you can break it down into in terms of production, to in terms of impact on the offense. Um you know, like if you if you had to put these guys in a pecking order, where does where does Calvin Austin rank for you? I can't really rank them, but I can just say just like I've been hearing just being on Twitter, like Memphis Twitter, I've been hearing nothing but Calvin Austin hype all year. Uh, and I think that's just so interesting compared to like what the national conversation was, you know, on ESPN when they first started talking about Memphis. Because they were mentioned in Memphis at the beginning of the year as like being running back you. Because, you know, you got Kenny Gainwell, you know, you got Daryl Henderson, you got all these dudes in the NFL putting in work at the running back spot. And it seemed like they kind of glossed over Calvin Austin, you know, at the beginning. But now, you know, and really from the beginning of the season, just the local hype has been Calvin Austin. Like, yo, this dude is really, really good. And, you know, he's balling out. He's got his little NIL deal with the wing guru. Salute, salute. I, I need to see a Calvin Austin flavor at some point. But, um, I mean, he's living up to it, man. I mean, the, the, the dude is putting in work. I keep waiting for him to come back down to earth. I mean, like, it, the secret is out. He is not, uh, like, you know, like, like he's a large percentage of the offense, and they still can't stop him. Like, you know, before, like with Daryl Henderson, Daryl Henderson played with uh, he and Tony Pollard were on the were on the same. You know, Brady White obviously was part of that. Like you had to game plan for all these different guys and not saying that there aren't other guys that the defenses this year have to game plan for. You got Brandon Thomas doing good things. Seth Hennigan is obviously running the show at quarterback pretty well. Um, Javon Ivory, uh, another wide out. Sean Dykes obviously is. Uh, a, 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 a handful, but like Calvin Austin is the dude. He is that yeah. guy and right. they still can't stop him. Um, so that to me is just really, really impressive. Uh, Evan, do you want to take a stab at, uh, uh, you know, providing some perspective here or would you rather stay steer clear of that? Being so, the so I will, I'll be careful trying to rank Cause again, it's, it's, it's tricky because obviously my first year here was Daryl Henderson's incredible year. And I mean, 
that was something special. But the year before I was here, Anthony Miller literally kind of got this thing going to another level as a skill position player. Um, and so it's it's tough. But I will say this. It's funny to me that all of those guys came to Memphis with different different backgrounds. Anthony Miller was a walk-on. Calvin was a walk-on. Um, you can even look at, say, Daryl Henderson, who was the state player of the year in Mississippi, but he came in, you know, sat out a year and then had a really quiet freshman season. Um, Tony Pollard obviously came in, had a kick return his freshman year, which was the first one here in 20 years when he got here as a freshman. So you kind of saw, okay, Tony Pollard has something. And then we all saw Kenny Gainwell, literally, we had heard about Kenny Gainwell being special. And then he went ahead when Patrick Taylor got hurt, had one of the best seasons in Memphis history from an individual standpoint, became an All-American freshman of the year. I mean, what's funny to me is Memphis has found a way to spotlight these guys and make them be really, really productive. I don't know if that's part of the offense. I don't know if it's part of, you know, their individual skills. But I will say now we're going on five years, and I count last year for Calvin Austin, we're going on five years where they've had a really, really dynamic playmaker that has been the focal point of the office. And like you, Jason, I thought this year we'd see Calvin Austin kind of struggle a little bit more because teams are game planning for him, especially with the AAC. Like teams would figure out how to slow him down. And we saw him put up over 100 yards against Temple when they were, you know, physical with them. The Tulsa game, even though, you know, they lost, Memphis lost, he still finished with 200 yards. And against Navy, he didn't, he only caught two passes, but still had a play that kind of sparked the game around. So I, I would say that I'm not going to rank them because I think my bias would say Daryl Henderson and Kenny Gamble are probably one and two or one A, one B. And yeah. by the way, that's for getting Antonio Gibson, who came out of nowhere and just dominated the second half of that 2019 season. Yeah. Um, and who's having probably the best career right now, you could argue, out of all those guys, along yeah. with Tony Pollard um, in the NFL. But I would say that Calvin Austin, as as Ryan Silver said, he, he keeps deserving national respect. And I'm somebody who usually doesn't want to always say, well, you know, our guy needs more respect, blah, blah, blah. I always say, you know, guys got to go out and earn it, whatever. But if you look at his numbers, I mean, he's second in the country in receiving yards. He's fourth, type of fourth. In touchdowns, um, he's, I believe, top five in all-purpose yards. Um, I wrote something at the Commercial Appeal right now where I break down Calvin Austin's resume this year, and it stacks up against any other receiver. It's just that, you know, he's not playing at a Power 5 school, and Memphis isn't ranked. Memphis is 4-3. and three. All these things that are kind of probably keeping him away from being, like, more recognized. But you watch these Memphis games, and he finds a way to make things happen, whether it's a dynamic play or running good routes, or catching a lot of passes. Um, Calvin Austin is putting together something where, again, all said and done, he probably will break Anthony Miller's program record for for um, receiving yards, which, again, that record we thought probably wasn't going to get broken anytime soon because Memphis forced him the ball a lot. But Calvin Austin might do it on fewer catches, which is pretty, pretty ridiculous. Good stuff. So, all right. Uh, wrapping this up real quick, we've got uh, Memphis has UCF on Friday, uh, six o'clock kickoff at the Bounce House in Orlando. Um, game's going to air on ESPN two. Uh, what are you looking for, Evan? What do you, what do you think? Uh, what's what's your what are, what are some of your talking points here? All right, so we'll have our scouting report and prediction up at the Commercial Appeal 
Um, recording this Wednesday, it'll be up on Thursday. So you'll see some of these things I'm saying. But one thing I'm looking forward to is um, a battle of maybe two freshman quarterbacks. Um, Seth Hennigan, obviously, we forgot to mention, Seth Hennigan left the Navy game. Uh, we were told it was a precaution for a hand injury. Um, we saw that he was kind of favoring that hand on the sidelines. He dapped everybody up with his left hand, not his right hand, which is his throwing hand. Um, but I've I've heard that he's, you know, he, Ryan Silva told us he was at practice on Saturday on Saturday when they practiced after uh, Thursday's game. I've heard he's been practicing. So, you know, he should be up there. But, yeah, UCF is also starting a fresh, a true freshman quarterback in Mikey Keene with Dylan Gabriel still out with a broken clavicle. So I want to see kind of how – those two guys handle this game. Um, this UCF offense is not the dynamic offense we're used to seeing. This isn't like the big play offense of of old or UCF would strike in any minute. Um, I believe UCF's longest play is a 51-yard play, and that's one. Memphis has, I believe, 10 50-yard plays from scrimmage, which is third in the country. So this is not a dynamic UCF offense. This is an offense that has been effective. However, at least to my second point, and you kind of mentioned it, Jason. I think this diff, this Memphis defense has to prove something against UCF. We saw against Navy, they beat a Navy team that, frankly, wasn't good. Can they do it against a UCF team on the road that'll be motivated, that is still got some speedy wide receivers? Um, and I keep thinking to myself about how Memphis was in a similar situation three years ago at the AAC Championship, where Mackenzie Milton gets hurt. They bring in uh, DJ Mack, who starts his very first game against Memphis in that AAC championship. Memphis gets out to a big lead. UCF comes all the way back and wins. So I'm worried because even though this is a young quarterback for UCF, if this defense can't get stops and if this defense gives up big plays, then we're having the same conversations we've had about Memphis before. So I want to see how this defense for Memphis handles a freshman quarterback, handles receivers who are going to be faster, handles a physical running game. Um, so I think that it'll be really interesting to just see how Memphis handles it. And they also haven't won on the road in the AC. So there's a lot to go into, but it should be a fun game down in uh, down in Orlando. Okay. Who's, Who's going to win? Yes, Kari. That's your, that's, that's your question, Kari. Are you asking me, Mr. Thompson? Me? Man, I'm rolling with Memphis. I'm rolling with Memphis, man. Too many Memphis people call me a hater already, so I'm showing y'all some love this week. <laughs> Evan, what, what do you think? Who, who's uh, we we should say that uh, Memphis is a it looks like a one and a half point underdog. Yes, yes, Memphis is a one and a half point underdog. Um, I believe the game opened as a pick'em, but UCF quickly became the favorite according to the betting lines. I think. Yep. <sighs> And again, this is in my prediction, so you can see more when it comes out. But I'm going to take UCF only because, again, we need to see if we can trust Memphis on the road. Um, the only road game that they played where they looked really good was against Arkansas State. And the second half, the defense just did not look great at all. Um, I need to see more from Memphis before I can pick them on the road confidently, even though this is a down UCF team, even though they have a freshman quarterback, even if they're de- even if UCF's defense is struggling in ways just like Memphis, they still have a great secondary. And we saw when Memphis played UCF before that that secondary can make things troubling. So um, I'm going to pick UCF, and if I am wrong, then we go into the bye week hearing it all week. So Yeah. Well, you save UCF's down, um, 
and maybe they are compared to where they usually are, but they're averaging 34.1 points per game. Uh, Memphis is averaging 35.8. So the offense, you know, I mean, like that's that's not a huge separation uh, in in points per game. Uh, you know, I mean, actually, UCF is averaging over 200 yards rushing per game, and that's compared to Memphis's 179.7. So uh, it's, you know, it's it's not that much of a – the offenses are pretty close, it looks well, like. Well, let's, let's throw in a little caveat for the, for, the, for the Tigers for Tigers fans. So those first three games, they had Dylan Gabriel. They had 573 yards, 671 yards, 416 yards. The three games without Dylan Gabriel, starting with their loss at Navy, where they lost a fourth quarter lead. They have not, they have 326 total yards, 359, and then they played Cincinnati where they had um, 296. Yards per play went down considerably. So just to bring that up. So yeah. they went from average, they went from 6.74 against Boise State, 7.8 Bethune Cookman, 6.5 Louisville, down to 5.8 against Navy. 5.4 against ECU, 4.6 against Cincinnati, which we know is a great defense. Um, this offense has kind of been in two different phases. So while their numbers do look good, I tend to think those numbers are kind of skewed by those first three games with Dylan Gabriel because they've looked like a different team with Mikey Keene. So um, they they have the numbers, they have the averages, but keep in mind half of those games are without Dylan Gabriel and half of those games they haven't even crossed 370 yards. Well, all right. So uh, tune in Friday night. Evan will be there, uh, right? You'll be in Orlando? Yep. All right, cool. Evan will be there providing uh, uh, fantastic coverage uh, from the bounce house at commercialappeal.com. So make sure you're following him for that. Uh, we're going to wrap this up. Uh, uh, this week's edition of the Tiger Football Podcast is now uh, complete. We appreciate uh, uh, the venerable Kari Thompson for for uh, joining us and providing his insight. Um, so until next week, uh, we appreciate you, appreciate you guys for joining us and um, good luck uh, good luck to the Tigers this week. The Tiger Football Podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal.